from the kingdom of Nye. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Now, here's Art. Once again, here I am. Good morning. Coming up in a moment is Edgar E. Casey, the son of, that's right, the son of Edgar Casey, the sleeping prophet. So much to talk with him about. We will continue uh, through the evening to monitor the anthrax story. We're getting additional information, and as we get it to you, we will get it on the air. So if you monitor here, you're not going to uh, lose out at all. And now a very unusual opportunity to interview Edgar E. Casey. He is the son of Gertrude and Edgar Casey. Uh, who you may know as the Sleeping Prophet, was uh, born in Selma, Alabama, February 9th, 1918. Uh, lives now in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Graduated from Duke University in 1939 with a B.S. Uh, in E.E. Oh, my. Employed uh, in 1940 by Virginia Power as an engineer. Uh, has military service. Uh, went to Officer Candidate School in the Signal Corps. I can see we're going to have a lot in common. Was a captain in the Air Force. <laughs> Post-war, returned to work with uh, Virginia Power, uh, which is now Dominion Resources, and retired in 1983 after 43 years of service. He has two children. He is a registered professional engineer in Virginia, a uh, member of the First Presbyterian Church of Virginia Beach, and uh, many more organizations. His published works include Edgar Casey on Atlantis, The Outer Limits of Edgar Casey's Power, and The Mysteries of Atlantis Revisited. Here is Edgar E. Casey. Um, Edgar, welcome to the program. Thank you, Art. It is such an honor to have you on. Uh, do you do many interviews? I did one last week. I don't know as I do so many. I do know it now and then. Um, I barely know where to begin with you. I, you know, radio's uh, wonderful. We have the luxury of time with radio, and, and we don't have to do anything too quickly or nothing's really pre-planned. So I think what I'd like to do is to ask you everything you can remember about your father. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether our program's long enough for that or not, Art. Were the two of you, uh, were the two of you close, Edgar? Uh, the whole family was very close, Art. Um, Dad was a very ordinary person in everyday life. It, I mean, he loved to work in the garden. He liked to fish. He liked to play games. He was a very good carpenter. He used to repair shelves and doors, and he built a garage at one house we lived in. Uh-huh. Uh, it was just those... 30 to 40 minutes once or twice a day when he was able to put himself into a self-induced hypnotic trance of all intents and purposes he'd go to sleep how, how did all that how did it begin for him how did he uh, if you know how did he even realize that he had this well this all began before by time art so uh, it's it's sort of hearsay but uh, I've heard dad and the family talk about it well it's good. he was a young Excuse me. That's quite, that's quite right. He was. It's good, close hearsay. The best we're going to get. So um, tell us what they told you. All right. Um, when he was a child, he had some rather strange experiences. He, uh, for example, he wasn't a very good student in school, and uh, he was having trouble with his spelling lesson one night. 
and his grandfather kind of got impatient with him, and finally uh, my father said, if you just let me let me think about it, let me just uh, study it a minute, and I think I'll know everything. And his father said, all right, very roughly, and he went out of the room, and about five minutes he came back. Meanwhile, Edgar Casey had laid down on his head on his spelling book and gone to sleep for five minutes. When he woke up, he knew every word in the book and what page it was on, and from then on, God. instead of a poor student, he became a very bright student. That was at what age? Well, that was about uh, when he was in school. I guess that uh, they had schools then uh, up through about what would be equivalent to the seventh or eighth grade, the kind of one-room schoolhouse. And, so, in other words, he actually slept on the book and absorbed it. it that's what it sounds like. Uh, later on, in... Um, when he was a young man working in a bookstore, he lost his voice. He couldn't talk at all. Of course, he wasn't much of a salesman when he couldn't talk. No. And all the doctors in town, he'd been to everybody, and none of them seemed to be able to help him. Sounds like Gordon Michael Scallion. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, hypnotism was a sort of new fad then, and somebody suggested that, why don't you try a hypnotist, that maybe he can give you a post-hypnotic suggestion such that you'll be able to talk when you wake up. Mm -hmm. Well, Dad tried it, and uh, there was a medical doctor, uh, several people in attendance when they tried this experiment, and under hypnosis, he could talk a little bit, but he wouldn't accept a post-hypnotic suggestion from the hypnotist, and when he woke up or came out of his trance, he still couldn't talk. But the hypnotist suggested, he says, you're such a good subject, says, Maybe you you can put yourself into a hypnotic trance. Maybe you can give yourself the suggestion. Maybe you'll take it from you instead of me. When Dad was, of course, he was willing to try anything, he laid down and immediately he was able to go to sleep or put himself into a hypnotic trance. He didn't remember anything he said at the time, but he described his condition and said it was due to... Uh, congestion in the throat. He says, we'll clear this up. And he turned real red. His face got red. His throat got red. He coughed up a little blood and woke up and he could talk. As far as I know, that was the first reading, the one on himself. And uh, of course, the doctor, there was an MD there, Dr. Ketchum, who said, well, Edgar, if you can do this for yourself, maybe you can do this for some of my patients. Well, Dad was always willing to try to help anyone he could. And he tried uh, giving readings for other people, and he was very successful. Some very accurate readings, and uh, that's how he developed, as I understand it, this uh, ability. About what year would all that have been? Well, this was way before my time. Is when he's about 20 years old. It was back in the early, uh, the late 1800s in Kentucky. The uh, the power of healing is one that I believe in uh, very strongly, and that's a remarkable story. He coughed up blood. And he regained his power of speech. In other words, he cured himself. He cured himself, that's right. That was the first first so-called reading. I think the word reading came from lack of a better word to describe what he did. Well, what he did sounds like diagnosis and treatment. Well, that's true. He That was his main... Uh, the main focus of his reading were the physical readings. He gave over 14,000 of these readings in his lifetime, and about 60% of them were diagnosis of other individuals' physical condition. He didn't actually treat the condition himself, uh, as he did for himself there. But He did diagnosis. He did diagnosis. 14,000 of them, Edgar? 
over 14,000. I think it's 14,470 something or something like that. There are copies of these readings at the Association for Research and Enlightenment in Virginia Beach with the doctor's reports and the patient's reports. And, of course, the people who didn't follow them didn't get any results. If people followed them halfway, they got halfway results. And if they followed them in detail, they got excellent results. By, by, by that you mean the, the, the diagnosis? The diagnosis, and, right. And then uh, your father would uh, recommend to them a course of action? That's right. He would suggest the course of treatment. It varied. Some, you know, he, that was the thing. He didn't stick to any one particular thing. I mean, sometimes uh, he would uh, recommend an operation. Sometimes he would recommend uh, a diet. Uh, sometimes even osteopathic uh, chiropractic treatments, which uh, didn't set well with the medical doctors. But uh, sometimes he would describe uh, compounds or herbs that uh, he would give the formula for mm -hmm. to make it up. Uh, in other words, you could probably sense deficiencies of one sort or another in somebody's uh, uh, dietary habits. Or... It sounded like it. Yeah. Uh, did, did your father ever describe the precise way that he was able to discern this or that it came to him? Or was it a mystery to him? I think it was a mystery to him and to everybody else. Of course, he, had, he was asked questions about it, and uh, some of the answers sound as strange as the... Uh... Uh, stuff. He said that this was an ability that he had uh, inherited in a previous lifetime uh, that he had done before. Uh, it sounded like abil an ability or talent that was developed. Now, this idea of reincarnation was something that came up much later mm -hmm. in the early 20s. I, was, I had been born then, and uh, it was while we were in Dayton, Ohio. Someone uh, suggested, uh, wanted a... I guess they call it an astrological reading. Wanted to know what effect the stars had on a person's life. And right. He said, well, the stars didn't have as much effect on anybody's life as his previous lifetimes. And he uh, proceeded to describe this person's previous lifetimes and the effect it had on his present life. Now, and uh, when he woke up and heard what he had said, he was as astounded as anyone else because he didn't know anything about reincarnation or karma. He didn't realize not. that many people in the world believed in it. And that uh, uh, he always said if he ever gave a reading that hurt anyone, he'd never give another. But he never did. And some of the life readings seemed, that, uh, vocational guidance readings, seemed as helpful as some of his physical readings. So did he, he to give them. Did he get any information on who he had been in a previous life? How, yes, how, I understand how much he did. It was a, a long time ago, and it was several previous lifetimes. I uh, don't remember all the details of that now. You can uh, uh, there's a book been a recent book been written about it. I think that mentions some of his uh, previous incarnations. Uh, when did you become aware? How old were you when you realized uh, your dad was different? Well, you know, Dart, it, growing up in a family is a little different than. Uh, being exposed to this from, you know, all at once from the outside. And uh, when I was real little, <coughs> excuse me, I thought everyone's father gave readings, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but, um, I, you know, I guess uh, the first uh, real vivid experience I had with it was a reading on myself. I, when we'd, I was about seven or eight years old, we'd oh. just moved to Virginia Beach, and I was standing in front of a fireplace in a pair of flannel pajamas. Uh -huh. And a spark popped out and set those flannel pajamas on fire, and they burned up just real quickly. And my mother was coming down the stairs with a shirt and grabbed me and wrapped the shirt around the 
pajamas and put out the fire, but it burned my left leg very badly. I was out of school about four or five months, and the doctor never looked at it. I asked Dad to please give me a reading. He did immediately and described what to do for it. And uh, What did you do for it? Well, it was always a number of things. To, uh, it was fluids to wash it with. I think it was ungentine at that time. It was one of the uh-huh. for that preparation to... Uh, Put on it for a very severe burn, and uh, as it began to heal later, it uh, the skin grew across, so I couldn't straighten out my leg. And then he told me what to rub on it, what to do to straighten it out. Wow! Uh, it did straighten out. I played football, basketball, baseball in high school and college, and uh, it uh, doesn't bother me at all. He even gave me something to remove the scar, and I rubbed it on for a while, and then I decided I couldn't see it, and I didn't really care about it, and I quit doing it. <laughs> so I still have a scar on the back of my leg, about half as big as the original one, from uh, my ankle to my butt. But, okay, uh, well, you, you regarded this then as a normal thing. Uh, at, but at some point in your life, you had to realize Dad's a little bit different than everybody else. Oh, there's no question about it. And that uh, I, I, I was uh, one of the things that got me into writing the first book. I'd... Uh, had had a life reading also that now not every life reading he gave described or mentioned Atlantis. Uh, of the 14,000 readings he gave, about 2,500 of them are the so-called vocational guidance readings or life readings. Uh, about 700 of them, maybe, uh, maybe almost a third, did mention past incarnations of people in Atlantis. Well, Atlantis was just a myth. It is to many people still. There isn't any proof that it ever existed. Of course, there's no proof that it never existed either. So uh, I thought I could go down there to the association. We have copies of all these readings in the files at Virginia Beach. At that time, they were on uh, microfilm and uh, had just been put on to preserve them. We, when the dad gave a reading, a copy was given to the patient and a copy was kept on file. He, uh, I said I could go down there and maybe look up all the life readings on Atlantis and find some proof that it either existed or didn't exist. At that time, I didn't care which way. I just wanted to know the answer. Sure. So uh, I said, well, I could probably do this in a few weeks, and that was a very naive idea. After about a year later, I had read every life reading on Atlantis that I could lay my hands on, and uh, the amazing thing about it was these some of these readings given 20 years apart never you know, they didn't contradict each other. And it wasn't that he gave a reading on Atlantis and said it existed. He gave a reading on a person and mentioned an incarnation in Atlantis and told that person's characteristics in life and described how it affected him now. And uh, by putting all those little pieces together, trying to arrange them in some kind of chronological order, uh, that's what came out of that book. Well, it turned out to be very successful. It came out in 68. It's uh, still in print after 30 years. And what is the name of it? Edgar Casey on Atlantis. And now now we've got an update. The uh, Mysteries of Atlantis Revisited. There have been, yes. When he gave these readings, this was before radiocarbon dating. And many of the statements he made uh, back in the 20s and 30s, when many of them were given, sounded ridiculous because the ideas of geology and archaeology were quite different. Oh, yes. Then than they are now. And uh, when he said that uh, man had been in North America 10,000 years ago or 20,000 years ago and in South America even longer, or that the poles had shifted in the past, mm-hmm. and, you know, all kind of things like that, well, it sounded ridiculous. But now with uh, radiocarbon dates of 17,500 in Pennsylvania, 20,000 in California, 35,000 in 
of South America, it's turning out that man was in the places that Edgar Casey said he was oh, yes. at the time he said he was. So yes. it kind of stands to reason that if uh, you know statements like that were true, well, he made the statement one time, uh, Art, that the Nile River used to flow west into the Atlantic. Well, that was 60 years ago. And, uh, of course, there wasn't any way to prove whether the Nile River flowed into the Atlantic or not. That's right. Uh, that lot of millions of years ago. But in 1987, when they took the pictures of, from the space shuttle of the, with the ground-penetrating radar with Sahara, it showed that the old course of the Nile was west into the Atlantic, Good exactly Lord. where Casey said it was. When you, re when you did all this research, uh, and you researched these uh, people who had... Uh, have been said to have, uh, have prior lives in Atlantis. What kind of proof did you run into uh, or cooperation? Uh, for example, uh, people who may have known each other or references that could be checked from one person's reading to another person's reading, that kind of thing. Did you? That, that was the thing. The, I, I call it the internal consistency of the reading. The fact that uh, he didn't the one reading didn't contradict another. It was a reading given 20 years later was just like on a different person was just as if it had stopped and taken but up. Did, the but did you time. find did you find places where they corroborated each other? Oh yes, about the, the, the times that uh, he would uh, very seldom did he mention dates unless somebody asked him. But he did mention two or three. Now the uh, origin, I mean the myth of Atlantis or the story of Atlantis originated with Plato back in the 5th century B.C. And he described it as, uh, he said that Solon, someone had uh, been in Egypt and the priest had, uh, in Egypt had described to him uh, this civilization that existed in the, he, they called it beyond the Pillars of Hercules, which was the uh, Rock of Gibraltar and another mountain on the other side of the Mediterranean the entrance to the Mediterranean from the Atlantic. And he said it was beyond the Pillars of Hercules out in the South Atlantic, and it was a great civilization and very advanced, and that it had been destroyed in a volcanic catastrophe 9,000 years earlier. Well, that put it in the class of a myth because nobody believed that there had been any civilization that long ago, right. 9 to 10,000 B.C. That's right. And uh, since Plato's story, there had been... Oh, thousands of books and pamphlets written about it. Uh, some of them trying to amass evidence that uh, Plato was right, and uh, some of them trying to prove he was wrong, and some of them trying to rationalize the story by moving it to a different location or changing the date. And uh, the the thing that convinced me about it was the fact that Dad said that people had incarnations there, and uh, he was so accurate in his physical readings. And he was so accurate in many of his other life readings, describing the characteristics of persons and uh, you know, the kind of occupation they were in, the problems they were having with their family. I mean, they, uh, the, other de the other readings had been accurate. The things he said in the other readings about geological and archaeological events of the past... That, that, that kind of came later, didn't it? That a came lot of later, right. But predictions. Uh, he had uh, been so accurate in that, why, uh, you know, maybe there's some truth in this Atlantis story. Uh, maybe there is. Uh, I think that your father suggested there would be uh, something called the Hall of Records found beneath the left paw of the Sphinx. Is that, that was correct? was mentioned in a reading, right? Um, when your father uh, w when your father went under, he didn't really. He was called the Sleeping Prophet, but from what you've told me, it sounds more like 
he was the self-hypnotized uh, prophet who would go into a sort of a um, hypnotic trance. Well, that, that's true. And I, I don't really think of him as a prophet, Art. I think, uh, I know, he, uh, you know, he didn't really go to sleep and say that this is going to happen and that's going to happen. Uh, he always said that the future is not fixed, that we can change it. That we can change it. And uh, that's the, uh, I think it's a hopeful statement rather than something that's uh, inevitable. But uh, he did uh, mention these uh, things that had happened in the past, and when the scientific evidence turns up for a pole shift in the past, when scientific turns up evidence for climatic changes <clears throat> in the past at the times he said they were, and men being in the earth at the times he said they were, and the fact that man had been in the earth instead of a few hundred thousand years, millions of years. Mr. Casey, we're going through all these things now. We're, we're at a break point, uh, so hold on, relax. You've got a good ten minutes. We'll be uh, right back to you. Edgar E. Casey, the son of Edgar Casey, is my guest. I'm Ardell, and this is Coast to Coast AM. Kingdom of Nye on the wild card line at area code 702-727-1295. That's area code 702-727-1295. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. It is. Good morning. My guest is Edgar E. Casey, the son of Edgar Casey, who was called the Sleeping Prophet. Edgar E. Casey himself is now uh, beginning to get up in years. And it is a very rare and uh, uh, opportunity and certainly a great honor to have uh, the chance to talk with him about his father and, uh, in fact, about his own life. Uh, we'll get back to him in a moment. We're also monitoring, of course, the ongoing story that we spent the first hour and a half on uh, with regard to anthrax. And we had one whale of a scare in Las Vegas earlier today. Is it over? Don't know. Hope so. Once again, here is Edgar E. Casey, the son of Edgar Casey, known as known as the Sleeping Prophet. Mr. Casey, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Art. Uh, sir, I'm curious, uh, how old were you when your father passed on? Well, he passed away in 1947, end of World War II. I was about 27. 27. So by that time... You were fully aware uh, of your father's um, abilities, differences, talents? Oh, yes. I used to listen to readings when I was growing up for other people, and uh, I knew you know, I knew what he did, and uh, I guess nobody knew how he did it. But... <laughs> uh, Edgar, when did he begin 
to get visions of earth changes. Uh, at, at what point in, in, in all these readings did that begin to happen? Uh, actually, I think it came over a period of time. I say he didn't really uh, make a lot of prophecies, but he made statements uh, in readings all the way from the early 20s on up till the time he died. And so uh, some of these uh, statements were years apart. Some of them were you know, fairly recent in the 40s, 35s and 40s. Well, w when he referred, for example, to pole shifts, was he referring to the fact that the poles had previously shifted, or did he know they would shift again, or both? I think both. Uh, I think mostly it was about past pole shifts, and uh, that sounds like a wild idea when he first mentioned it. But Not so wild today. Not now. No, there's scientific evidence that the poles have shifted. I've got to ask you to stay good and close to your phone, because our connection could be a lot better. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying to talk a little louder. Oh, that's that's excellent. Absolutely excellent. Um. What else, other than pole shifts, did your father see coming for our world? Did, did, did he really look ahead at any point and give us any indication of what's coming? Well, he always said, uh, Art, that the future is not fixed, that people can change it. Uh, he did mention one thing that uh, we have some scientific uh, corroboration of, and uh, speaking about future earthquakes, he mentioned some particular areas in the United States. You know, the largest earthquake in the United States was not in California, but in... Uh, Missouri. Uh, Missouri, right. Well, he mentioned these particular areas, and uh, some 30 years, 25, 30 years after that reading was given, there was an organization, the American Association of Engineering Societies, that made a study of the fault zones in the eastern United States, and they published... Uh, maps of uh, these areas, and uh, in fact, we have them in our book, Mysteries of Atlantis Revisited. There's a chapter in there dealing with the earthquakes, and we got permission to publish these maps of the fault zones, and the interesting thing about it, they were exactly the same areas that Casey mentioned years ago, and the uh, unsettling thing about it is that these this uh, organization concluded that the likelihood of a major earthquake in the eastern United States in the next 25 years, this was published in 1987, mm -hmm. uh, was 100%. So <laughs> that's pretty near certainty. That's pretty near certainty. Uh, they don't know uh, where or which, you know, which uh, area is going to be affected, but these areas were exactly the same ones that Casey mentioned. So I hope they're both wrong. Did he ever describe to you when in trance, when in self-hypnosis, uh, or rather how he would visualize things? Would he actually see them? Would, they, would these things come to him as a, a simple knowledge um, or a voice? Or in what manner was information imparted? Did he ever talk about that? Uh, my brother and I wrote a book about that, Art, um, The Outer Limits of Edgar Cayce's Power. Uh, and the fact, it dealt with the readings that were wrong. Everybody uh, talks about uh, Cayce's accuracy and uh, how good he was, and he was accurate. But uh, we thought that we could find there were some readings that seemed to be inaccurate. And we found maybe 150 to 200 out of the 14,000. Of course, that gives him a, still a pretty good percentage. Uh, it sure does. 9.99 or something like that. But anyway, uh, we thought that you could learn as much about psychic ability in general, and education in particular, as uh, 
by studying these ones that were wrong. I mean, where did he get his information? Uh, my brother, and, and in what manner? In again? what manner? Yeah, no. that, I think there are probably four, at least four sources of psychic information. I think what applied to Edgar Casey probably applies to any psychic. Uh, he was just especially a good one, but one would be unconscious memory. That is, everything you've ever thought or read or heard is somewhere in your mind, though you don't maybe remember it consciously all the time. Uh, he could tap that source. Another one would be telepathy. That is, the communication of his mind with the mind of another individual, either living or dead. And, uh, he, and either close in close proximity or uh, on the other side of the world. That's right. Uh, of course, you would only know in that case what that other person knew. If uh, you were trying to diagnose someone, I suppose unconsciously uh, or subconsciously, that person, all the reactions in the body of the person he's diagnosing, if uh, subconsciously that person knows what's wrong with him, maybe he doesn't consciously know, but all the mm -hmm. uh, reactions are there. And if you could communicate with his mind, uh, subconscious mind, you could give a beautiful diagnosis of what his trouble was. Mr. Casey, there are many who might suggest what your father did is the uh, ancient equivalent of what's now known as remote viewing. Well, that's uh, another source that would be that, uh, clairvoyance, that is, seeing things at a distance. Uh, not in every reading, but in some readings, he would uh, say, well, there's a beautiful rooster, this man has a beautiful rooster in his yard. Uh, or he's, uh, he's uh, looking at a rose bush, or he's arguing with his wife. That's very... An accident outside. And very specific. In every case, we never found him to be wrong in a case like that. We always would try to call up the person or write the person and say, you know, do you have a red rooster or were you arguing sure. with your wife or sure. you know, what were you doing at the time? And uh, we never knew him to be wrong in a case like that. Then might I, might I suggest to you then that you mentioned when he was wrong, uh, the few times uh, percentage-wise that he was wrong. He said himself that not all that he saw uh, would necessarily come true. In other words, uh, we, we are not bound in some horrible little uh, a dance of what the future is going to be inevitably. Right. Let me give you an example of that. That brings us to the fourth source. Uh, there's two ways of looking at this source. Some people think there's such a thing as the Akashic Records. That is, that everything that happens in the world leaves a record in time and space. And uh, if you could tap this source of information, you'd have great infinite knowledge. Yes. Another way of looking at it is to think of it that we live in a third-dimensional world. For example, if you take a point and move it in a direction not contained within itself, you get a line. That's one, di one direction, one dimension. It's infinitely long, but it has no width. Yes, you move the line at right angles to itself, you get a plane. Two-dimensional, it has no thickness, but it's infinitely long and wide. Uh, you move the plane at right angles to itself, you get a cube, three-dimensional world. That's the kind we live in. Right. Suppose you could move that at right angles to itself, a direction not contained within itself. We can't conceive of that. You would then be moving in another realm another or dimension. Realm. Well, suppose we moved it in time and space. Suppose it existed yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and that we're only conscious of the present. Uh, if Dad could somehow move into this other dimension, let me, let me give you an example. Suppose we have a plane, a two-dimensional plane. has no thickness, but it's infinitely long and wide, and we have a two-dimensional bug crawling in this plane in a little sine wave pattern, and he has a free will, he has a memory. He remembers where he was, 
He knows where he is. He knows nothing about the future. You sitting up here looking down on this plane, you see where he's been, you see where he is, you see everything that could possibly happen to him in the future, and you see it all at once. Now, he could never understand how you could see his past and present and future all at once because mm. he has no concept, concept of this third dimension, height. But if he has a free will, you could look at him and say, well, now, if you continue in the way you're going at 3 o'clock tomorrow, you'll be right over there, and you'd be right. But since he has a free will, he could decide to go off in another direction, to change his sine wave pattern and go somewhere else. You could see everything that could happen to him and what would be most probable, but you couldn't be sure what he was going to do. Well, I sure hope your father was right. Well, I hope so, too. Well, that this way, if you know, if the past and present and future all exist at once, if, uh, and the future exists as probabilities, and he could see what was likely to happen, but uh, he couldn't be sure because, as it said, it depends on what people do. And, of course, it's a little more complicated with a million of people than with one little bug, but uh, you get the idea. I do. Uh, also, it was said that your father, when he would... Um Go into trance when, when he'd come out of trance, uh, out of a particularly difficult uh, viewing, and that this became worse as the years went on. It would drain him uh, physically, make him weak. Well, what what happened, Art? Normally, he would give one or two readings a day. That is, uh, it, it took a certain uh, amount out of it. It wasn't exactly like physical exercise, but I suppose it was a, a mental strain in a, in a way, and. When he became popular, when the book There's a River came out, and uh, he became popular overnight, uh, this uh, you know people began to call him in the middle of the night, kind of like this conversation. But they would say, <laughs> "My wife is dying, my daughter's dying. You know, doctors yes. can't help her. Can't you do something for her? Please give her a reading." And he got hundreds of those requests. He had to have the phone number, get an unlisted number. They brought the mail there in trucks, and he he couldn't not help people. He felt like it's something you had to do. Instead of giving one or two readings a day, he started giving four, five, six, eight, ten. I mean, it was too much of a strain. In fact, he had a breakdown, and he had a reading on himself, and it just said that you are trying to do too much. If you continue to do this, you'll, you'll kill you. And he continued to do it, and it killed him. He was... Uh... I'm sorry, how, how old was he at uh, at his death? 67, 67. I believe. 67, that's uh, actually fairly uh, long-lived for those times. Right. Uh, not, not a bad age. Uh, what is your current age, sir? I had my 80th birthday last week. You're 80 years old. How about that? Oh, congratulations. Oh, that's, a, that's really something. Um, your father obviously passed on to you uh, some good things and some strong genes. <laughs> well, I, I hope so for a while. Uh, did he pass on to you anything else? Well, of course, I had uh, life readings. I don't talk about my personal readings, but I think they were very accurate. They've helped me. Did he pass on to you any uh, inherited ability? I, I don't have any psychic ability. Uh, or the only only thing I can remember, I had a dream once I was eating a giant marshmallow, and when I woke up, the pillow was gone. Uh, I, I, I was kidding, uh, but uh, I don't, uh, I really don't uh, have any psychic abilities. Uh, what has it been like, um, uh, you're now 80, what has it been like, sir, uh, living uh, with what your father was all these years it surely has changed your life and shaped and affected your life completely 
Well, I, I think it does. I mean, he, he suggested, uh, for example, where I should uh, go to school. He even said, uh, you know, you could get a scholarship. He said, go to Duke and study engineering. He said, uh, now, I graduated from a little high school that had 28 people in its graduating class in Virginia and Beach. And uh, the chance of getting a scholarship from a small school looked up at the chances of a snowball in hell. Mm. But uh, I was valedictorian of the class, but I was still, that's a small school. And I put in for a scholarship, and I got it. <laughs> so <laughs> he was right about that. And, and then you proceeded. I've had a, you know, I've enjoyed engineering. I think it's not... You know, you don't get rich, but I think you have a satisfying life. That is, uh, if in my case, it, uh, you know, you if you're happy in what you're doing, happy in what the kind of work you do, I think that's the important thing, not uh, how much money you make. But well, you were an engineer, so you were in the hard sciences. Uh, were that's there... right. That's a long ways from it, psychic it research. Sure is. Uh, was was that difficult for you at times? I am into electronics um, and. Yet I deal with this kind of material on the radio. Well, you know, I had a uh, kind of a dual ratio there. I mean, I exactly. was living in a family with a man who was probably one of the most remarkable psychics in this country, and uh, I watched it every day. I mean, uh, I just tell you an example of a reading, some of the kind of things that would happen to be kind of curious. I used to listen to him as I was growing up, and he had a, a reading one time on a man that was supposed to be in his apartment in New York, and. Uh, the mother gave him some suggestion and said, you will have before you the body of so-and-so at this address in New York. All he had to know was the person's name and where he would be at the time of the reading. Well, uh, he lay there for a minute, and he said, he's not here. He said, he's coming across town on a bus. He said, there's a lot of traffic. A bus is late. He said, we'll wait. He lay there for 15 minutes, didn't say a word. All of a sudden, he said, he's come in, and he proceeded to give the reading. At that time, my brother got up, went in the other room, called a man on the telephone. The man said, that's exactly right. He said, I knew I was supposed to be in my apartment. I was on my way there. There was a traffic accident or something. The bus was late. I just this minute walked in. Now, that's a beautiful piece of clairvoyance that I don't see how anybody could have foreseen. Did it ever scare you? <laughs> I don't know if it ever scared me. It uh, made you think a lot of times. Uh, r really hard. I just I, I wonder how a young man uh, who's becoming an engineer was able to square all of this. And uh, were there times early in the early years uh, in your education when you would reject or just simply couldn't believe, or did you always simply understand what your father did was a normal thing? Well, for I don't you? know as I considered it normal. I realized it was pretty abnormal, but. Uh... I had seen it work in so many cases. You know, I grew up with it, and he had people that were successful. You know, I had readings that were so successful for people. They had remarkable cures. They suggested vocations for people who succeeded in them after, uh, you know, and they'd take up this occupation or this, you would be good in this or something like that. And <laughs> this had happened. It happened to me, and it happened so many times that, uh, you know, you, you had faith in it. You, you thought that he you knew that he was right you knew he was accurate now i don't know how that was one of the reasons on we wrote this book this uh, mysteries of atlantis revisited that uh, it showed the archaeological geological discoveries that have happened in the recent past to uh, show how accurate he was I mean, you you are a a very devout christian obviously um was your father Yes, he was. He taught Sunday school in the Presbyterian Church, and my brother and I both did, too, as a matter of fact, here in Virginia Beach. Were, were there conflicts between uh, uh, his religion and the fact that um, he was uh, 
a prophet, and, and we all know what it says of prophets in the Bible, that they've got to be completely accurate or they're false prophets, and there must have been those accusations. Well, a lot of people didn't know what Dad did here. You know, when we first moved to the beach, it was a very small little fishing village. It wasn't the resort it is today. And uh, most people uh, thought he was a doctor. They used to call him Dr. Casey. And uh, <laughs> they really didn't know what he did. And uh, he was a very normal person in everyday life. And most of the people, except someone who had had a reading, well, they knew him as a in everyday life. They knew what a good carpenter he was, what a good gardener he was, and knew what a nice person he was. And uh, he was... Uh, he devoted his life to helping people. Mr. Casey, we're at the bottom of the hour. We'll do just 30 more minutes, and I'd like to open the lines and let some of my audience ask you questions, if that would be all right. Certainly. A very and there, is a, there is a number that people can call. That uh... Okay, hold on to that. We'll right. get it on right after the bottom of the hour. Edgar E. Casey is my guest. This is Coast to Coast AM. Kingdom of Nye, this is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. From east of the Rockies, call Art at 1-800-825-5033. West of the Rockies, including Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico, at 1-800-618-8255. First-time callers may reach Art at area code 702-727-1222. And you may fax Art at area code 702-727-8499. Please limit your faxes to one or two pages. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Now again, here's Art. Once again, here I am. My guest is Edgar E. Casey, the son of Edgar Casey, known as the Sleeping Prophet. Mr. Casey is 80 years of age. This is a very rare opportunity for you to ask a question. If you have one, you know the phone numbers. Here we are. We'll get back to them in a moment. All right. Once again, Edgar E. Casey. Mr. Casey, um, of your father, how much was how much is currently today myth versus what really happened? I guess it's uh, a lot of books have been written about him. Art probably the best one is "There Is a River" by Tom Chagrew, who was my brother's roommate in college. That's an account of how he started uh, his work and. Tom, uh, in fact, I helped carry Tom upstairs when he had gone from 180 pounds down to about 90, and the doctors told him to go somewhere and die. There wasn't anything they could do for him. He was paralyzed from his neck down. He couldn't move a finger. And uh, he followed the treatments and the readings Dad gave, and he wrote the book when he got well. He didn't. He never got so he could walk without crutches, but he did get 
up to the point he could go back to his job with the American Magazine and Herald Tribune newspaper. So would you say the majority of what we know or what we can certainly read in that book um, is is accurate, not myth? Well, I guess it depends on who you read, (laughs) what you read. Uh, The fact that he was uh, a prophet, I I think, is a little exaggerated. I know he did say some things about the future that, uh, uh, about the past, that uh, have certainly uh, been proven accurate. Well, one of the things he said was that there would be a hall of records uh, found beneath the uh, left paw of the Sphinx. Now, I interviewed uh, the director of antiquities, Zahia Wass, not long ago, and he answered in his normal, um, uh, a very uh, a boisterous, uh, boisterous Egyptian uh, accented voice. Uh, there has never been one grain of sand found here to show that there is anything that would relate to Atlantis, and that's that's what he said. But on the other hand, uh, Mr. Casey, uh, there are radar records, ground penetrating radar now showing that there are chambers beneath the Sphinx. There are records showing that there are certainly anomalies. Whether they are chambers or not hasn't uh, been proven. You know, getting permission to dig beneath the Sphinx is kind of like going to Washington and said, I'd like to dig a hole under the Jefferson Memorial or the Lincoln Memorial or the Washington Monument. Very much like that, yes. uh, You know, it's uh, the national treasures. You can't just go there and dig where you want to. Maybe they just haven't dug deep enough. Uh, there are some interesting things. I don't know whether Zahi was mentioned this or not. In fact, it upset a lot of the archaeologists. But to, uh, Professor Schock, from, uh, he was a Yale-trained geologist. His specialty was rock weathering. And he went over to Egypt and looked at the base of the Sphinx. And he said that the weathering was definitely water weathering. It was not wind and sand weathering. That's he correct. The person that would know, and uh, he presented his findings at a geological convention in California. As a matter of fact, there have been uh, sea incrustations uh, removed from the rear side of the Sphinx, sir. Well, I know that uh, the weathering there was, uh, he says that it's uh, water, and if it was, that means the Sphinx is much older than they thought. In fact, the work that the ARE did and sponsored in carbon dating the pyramids. Of course, you can't carbon date stone, but you can carbon date fiber or bugs or any kind of uh, plant that's gotten in the mortar. And uh, the interesting thing about it was they wouldn't let us take any samples from inside the Great Pyramid, but they did let us take stuff from the outside. Well, it turned out that uh, the pyramid was several hundred years older than uh, they thought, which means that the pharaoh they thought built it didn't, or else he lived a lot earlier than they think, and that really upset the Egyptologists. In fact, the blocks at the top turned out to be three or four hundred years older than the ones at the bottom. (laughs) Now, uh, you know it wasn't built from the top down, so that would indicate that the probably were repairs made to it, and if that was true, then it must must be much older than they think it is. Boy, would I like to have you in the same room as I was. <laughs> All right, uh, let's go to the phones and say, first time caller line, you're on the air with Edgar Casey. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. Hi. My name is Martha. Where are you, Martha? In Kentucky. I'm really glad to talk to you, Mr. Bell, because um, I, will, I listen to your show all the time. Thank you. And it's really great. Thank you. Um, in fact, I've sent you a few... Um, Oh. Messages. Yeah. All right. Do you have a question for Mr. Casey? Yes, I, I would like to talk to Mr. Casey. Um, 
I got to know the ARE when my sister had psoriasis really bad and nobody could fix it. And, of course, every doctor has, you know, ten different reasons why you would have psoriasis. Sure. And I'm a registered nurse, so I went to the ARE to get help for her. And, in fact, she was healed. And Edgar Casey had these things that he said you should do for forced rises, and it got better. So then a lot of, um, uh, Mr. Casey, a lot of the things that uh, your father said as he took readings then later applied uh, to other people in some in some way, in some help. Yes, other people. Way. That's psoriasis. Martha, that's psoriasis is a good example. In fact, there's a, a doctor up in Pennsylvania, I believe, that has treated a number of people uh, by putting together uh, a lot of the readings that Edgar Casey gave on people with psoriasis and making up a sort of regimen of treatment. And he's had great success in, mm -hmm. uh, as you say, curing people who uh, have psoriasis. There was a. You told us there was a phone number uh, that you had uh, that uh, people could call. There is an 800 number. If anybody is interested in knowing more about the readings, the Association for Research and Enlightenment in Virginia Beach does have a record of them. The number is 1-800-333-4499. And uh, they can either call that number or they can write the Association or the Education Foundation at... Uh, 67th and Atlantic Avenue, Virginia Beach, 23451. Will the uh, Casey Foundation uh, continue? I'd like to think so. Uh, there is an organization that probably has 25,000, 30,000 members uh, in the United States and many members overseas and other countries, and the purpose is to preserve the records that Edgar Casey gave and make them available for study. And one thing that as you pointed out, as Moss pointed out, one thing that can be done is people can come there and look at it and uh, see if there are any suggested treatments for ailments similar to what they have that might be useful in their case. Of course, most of these readings were for individuals, and what might apply to one person might, might not apply not. to another. Did your father tackle uh, diseases that were in fatal uh, final stages, uh, cancers, um, heart uh, problems, that sort of thing? Sometimes he would say, you know, that there's nothing that could be done for this person. That, you know, oh, he would. He would. He would say, he would virtually tell people they were going to die. Yes, and that just, you know, you could suggest ways to make them comfortable, but he said that, you know, there's nothing, it's too late. Did your father ever tell you, Mr. Casey, where he thought his power came from? I don't think he knew. He, he had life readings on himself that said it was developed in a formal life, uh, in formal lives. Uh, I think the, the sources that we talked about a few minutes ago, I think they apply, and I think he probably used a number of them. There's, uh, the rest of that chapter had, uh, <clears throat> on the nature of psychic perception in the book, had some reasons for why sometimes they work better than others. The fact that uh, the attitudes and the purposes and the reason for the reading seem to affect it. I know for a fact if Edgar Casey were physically ill, uh, if he had a bad cold, or if he'd had a stomach ache, if he'd had the flu, or, mm -hmm. you know, if he were emotionally upset about something, that he didn't get as good a reading as he would when he was perfectly healthy. Mm -hmm. So certainly his physical health did affect the accuracy of some of the readings. I think the 
there's such a thing, I guess you could call it psychic static, that, uh, you know, sometimes you don't always get perfect radio or perfect television reception. You know, a thunderstorm or leaking ignition on a car or right. a transmission line or something that uh, bothers the reception. I think there's maybe a psychic static like that. In other words, the purposes of the reading, Dad wanted to help people. If you had a woman with a child who uh, wanted to get well, was sick, the woman wants the child to get well, the child wants to get well, Edgar Casey wants to help the child get well, usually there's a sort of empathy between them that is conducive to a very good reading. All and, right. uh, sometimes if somebody comes up and says, well, I'm looking for an oil well or a gold mine, and I'll give you a little bit of it if uh, you know we find it, What's their purpose? It's a selfish purpose. They're not trying to help themselves. You know, I was just about I was just about to ask you about that. Whether he had been approached in that manner, uh, whether oh, yes. people uh, and uh, whether he in fact even used what he had to at times enrich himself. I don't think he tried to enrich himself. He didn't. In fact, when in the story uh, that again it happened before my time, but uh, in Kentucky. Um, he would be asked questions in, in some of the physical readings. Somebody at the end of the reading would say, well, now, who's going to win this horse race? Or who, what's going to happen to the stock market? And he would answer much to the person's profit. But when he woke up, he wouldn't feel well. He would be have headaches. He would feel nauseous. He just realized that something was wrong, and he couldn't figure out what it was. And when he found out what was happening, he got very mad. He backed up and moved his family from Hopkinsville to Selma, Alabama, where I was born, oh and uh, just opened a photographic studio, quit giving readings. So over, 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 really over that exact issue? Exact issue. And when my brother was burned with some flashlight powder, uh, he began giving readings again. He gave a reading on him, and it was remarkable. It, it, the doctor said he was going to lose his sight, and they wanted to take out one eye to save the other, and uh, they didn't have to, and... Uh, was one of the first uses of tannic acid for burns. And uh, he then got well, and uh, Dad started giving readings again. But from then on, uh, mother, my mother was the one who conducted the readings or gave him the suggestion for him. It was someone he could trust that uh, you know wouldn't stick in these questions about uh, gold mines or oil wells or whatever. And uh, he uh, was able to uh, continue successfully from then on. Um, Mr. Casey, is there anybody in today's world, in the modern world, that you would consider to be the equivalent of your father? Hugh Lynn went all over the world studying psychics and meeting them, and uh, we never, he never found one that uh, was as accurate as Casey was over his longer period. There are many people in this country and all over the world that have varying degrees of psychic ability, mm -hmm. but I don't know anyone who has the track record of Edgar Casey. I mean, he gave thousands of readings over a period of 20 or 30 years, and we have the records of them there. I mean, people can come down there. The library is open. It's free. You can come and look at the readings and look at the reports and see what he said, and we're not trying to hide anything. In fact, we're trying to make it available for you. But, Mr. Casey, uh, still today, then, your father's power, where it came from, why he had it, uh, we know how he used it, but all the rest, we don't know any more today than we did the day he did the first reading. That's probably true. <laughs> All right. Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Edgar Casey. Good morning. Good morning, Art. And, Mr. Casey, it's truly a great honor. I have a deep amount of respect for uh, for your father. I've read pretty much everything I can find on the man. Um, I would suggest that everybody visit your uh, your organization's website. Um, where, where are you, by the way, sir? Uh, East Coast. 
near Washington. Washington, D.C., all right. Um, by the way, there, uh, Mr. Casey, there is a website, is that correct? I believe it is. I don't have the uh, email well, address of it now. <laughs> okay, well, I think my caller does. Caller? It's, it's www.are-casey, that's C-A-Y-C-E, dot com. And when I say dash, it's a hyphen. So it's are-kc.com. Got it. Do you have and a it question? Really, it really is terrific. I've spent a great deal of time in there researching. All right. We'll have a link up in minutes. Quick, uh, quick questions real quick? Yes. Uh, let me just throw them out real quick. A, is it possible that Atlantis itself is buried beneath the sand at Giza, hence the pyramids, the Sphinx, and so on, are actually the remnants above what may be the city beneath? Secondly, I don't, I don't think so. He didn't say that. He said that Atlantic mm -hmm. was located in the South Atlantic, that there were right. records of Atlantis buried in Egypt. In fact, he said there were some buried in three places in the world, some mm -hmm. in South America, Yucatan, and Yucatan. some in Egypt, and some under the ocean. Well, with regards to his uh, Rata previous life, yes. um, which some people have interpreted as having been uh, that Casey himself in the previous life placed the records in the Hall of Records, was there uh, anything further on that? And Interestingly, also, his suggestion that the Earth changes would culminate in 1998 has always struck me as suggesting perhaps that they would, in effect, kick in um, and culminate with the major release of that energy in 1998, which, of course, is today. Um, he, perhaps yeah, again, he did mention 1998 as an important year, but, uh, again, he said the future's not fixed. You know, we can change it. I don't uh, really know what's going to happen. Anything on alien civilizations, there's been some suggestion by finds on Mars, which have some relationship to Giza, um, that other previous civilizations, perhaps the Sumerians, were descended from the Anunnaki, a race from another planet. Was there ever anything as far as reincarnation from another species or any information about that at all? The, as far as I know, there are no references in the readings to aliens uh, coming to Earth uh, in the, you know, and other civilizations. Dad did say there was life in the universe in myriad forms. Of course, there's lots of stars out there, lots of galaxies, and there's bound to be life of other kinds somewhere else. But uh, he didn't mention any of them coming to Earth as, as far as I know. Well, thank you very much, sir. Once again, it's a great honor. All right. Thank you uh, very much. And east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Edgar E. Casey. Good morning. Where are you, please? Good morning. Uh, yeah, I'm east of the Rockies in Art. My name is Elliot. All right. Good morning, Mr. Casey. Good morning, Mr. Bell. I believe by telling you where I was from last time was the reason my call was disconnected. But we'll talk about that <laughs> I some can't. other night. No, I, I don't disconnect people for geologic no, locations. Anyway. I'm not saying that you did. I'm I see. saying that something else did. Uh, okay. MIBs. All right. Uh, okay. Do you have a question? Yes, I do. Uh, I've heard from friends of mine who have a high-level position in the government that there will be a pole shift taking place. Oh, and um, it will be happening, and I was given a rough estimate around the year 2005. All right. Uh, there are many who uh, believe that, Mr. Casey. Did your father project uh, or tell anybody when he thought the next pole shift might occur? I don't remember any specific uh, examples of that. He uh, did say there might be changes in 1998 on up through 2000. He didn't say exactly what kind, and he didn't... Uh, I think they, they may be. I mean, I don't know. But uh, here again, it's, uh, you know, we can change that, even physical changes. Mr. Casey, as you look around today's world and listen to today's news uh, with anthrax and wars and uh, social disruption and so much that has changed in our society, 
would you think your father to be pretty much on track with uh, regard to predicted changes for 19, beginning in 1998? I mean, is that the way the world looks to you? Well, you know, the media plays up a lot of the exciting things and the bad things. There's uh, a lot of good folks out there and a lot of good things happening other than uh, anthrax and people trying to destroy the world. But uh, uh, we have, uh, I know we have, uh, I think, uh, done a lot of things that we could do better. And uh, um, hopefully people will change the attitude and, uh, about things in the future and not... Uh, not get us into these uh, situations that might lead to our own destruction. You're a hopeful man. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Edgar Casey and not a lot of time. Hello. Yes. This is Steve from San Diego. Yes, sir. I'd like to talk to you, uh, Mr. Casey. Uh, quick preface, uh, your father's legacy followed me around for about five years as a teenager hmm. uh, before I finally got around to reading the biography. Um, but... Uh, Wanted to know in the biography there, there are two uh, paranormal experiences that uh, or powers that uh, were mentioned for your father as a child. One was that uh, he could put books uh, for his schoolwork under his uh, pillow and uh, uh, read them at night while he was asleep. And the other was that he had a sprite or pixie type of uh, play, play uh, friends. All right, uh, Mr. Casey. Of course, this uh, was before my time, and hmm. uh, these are stories I've heard, that he could see people when he was a child that other people couldn't see. He had playmates that uh, uh, other people couldn't see. But uh, he did uh, have that experience of being able to uh, memorize, or by sleeping on a book, just memorizing the contents. And uh, he did turn from a poor student into a very good student with that ability. Mr. This Casey, is, again, this was before I was born, so I can't I understand. Uh, testify it. I understand that a lot of stories have been told about that, and uh, I've heard Dad tell it. Mr. Casey, do you have children? Yes. Do they have any abilities? As far as I know, they do not. They have some good abilities, but they're not <laughs> psychic. I know. Both of them, my son graduated from Duke as an electrical engineer. My daughter graduated from Ohio State as in psychology, a major in uh, BS in psychology. Boy, what a pleasure it has uh, been to have you on the program. I know it's getting mighty late back there. Well, I guess, boy, it's getting mighty early. It's about five minutes to four here. <laughs> All right, Mr. Casey, uh, I'm going to say thank you, and I hope one day I'll have an opportunity to interview you again. Uh, you're um, a class act. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you, Art, and I, ho I hope you got my, a copy of my book. And uh... I did. I surely did. Well, I hope you get the chance to read it sometime and enjoy it, and... Uh... I've enjoyed being on your program. Thank you for having me. Good night, Mr. Casey. Good night. That's Edgar E. Casey. From the high desert, this is Coast to Coast AM.